uh, or Third Kings if you have uh, an Orthodox Bible. Um, in First Kings chapter one, and then his second attempt really at it as well in in chapter two. We're going to look at it a little bit uh, as well. Um, little question is goes back into Second Samuel, and that involves David. David the king did something really odd when he became king. He established two priests in Israel. Um, do you know their names? We read them in First Kings one. They're there too. Their names were Zadok and Abiathar. Now, that wasn't the main question. That was the easy part. Um, why? Why did he create two priests when you really should only have one high priest? Why did he have two of them? Any ideas? This is really tough knowledge question, kind of like Jedediah. It's not something you normally know. Why would David assign two priests for Israel? Because what was it? No, they're actually both alive in Solomon's day. So they, the entire time that that um, David is king, these guys are the priests. So they're really old by the time Solomon comes along, right? How long did David reign? Forty years. And so they were probably not that old. Um, either that, or they were really ancient people by the time Solomon comes along. But they, one of them, one or both of them, were still around when the transition happened. All, both of them were around. Um, one of them became high priest exclusively uh, without the other during Solomon's reign. So why was there two priests in David's time? Yes? Um, not Really, and we're going to talk about places of worship today because that was really strange. Well, not today, actually, in this study. It'll be a couple of weeks yet before we get to that part. Um, so Israel did not, did, there was a tabernacle, and that was very clear. Uh, there was some other places of worship around Israel um, in, in the land, um, but that's not really why David does this. What we seldom realizes that there was a religious argument in the day, back in the day. And there were two families of Levites that both claimed the right to be high priest. Those that were descended from Aaron and another one that was descended from Moses. The house of Eli was really descended from Moses when you go back and follow the genealogy. And thus, when during the time of Samuel, when God says, I'm done with Eli and I'm casting out his whole house, he really solved the issue there and resolved it, that it was the house of Aaron. It was those that were coming out of Aaron's line that uh, had the rightful place as high priest before God. And David, in a very uh, political kind of flavor, assigned one from each. So Abiathar is of the house of Eli, and Zadok, is, which traces back to Moses, Zadok is 
uh, genealogy takes him back to Aaron. And so the two brothers there, which one had the legal right according to the law? Aaron, the family of Aaron, right. It was the Aaronic priesthood, and really it was his son that uh, God established a covenant with because of his zealousness for God. Remember, his son was the one that went through the camp and, and killed all those that were involved in mischief, um, and uh, God established a covenant with Eleazar uh, that his household would be priests. So it's really not even Aaron, it's Eleazar that we have the line through and not other Aaron's sons. Um, but we realize, of course, by the time we get to the king's era, that one of the things kings did was, um, was address the priesthood, and there was a lot of, of intermingling of that. And even in Jesus' time, we had two high priests because of the political climate of what was going on with the Romans and, and such. And so we had uh, two high priests at the same time, father and son. We're both considered high priests, depending upon who you talk to. So that's a little introduction. It's going to be necessary to really understand what we're looking at here in 1 Kings chapter 1 of why this uh, distinguishment has to be made by Solomon and why uh, Adonijah did what he did. And before you do that, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us and thank you again for the opportunity to look into your word. We pray you might direct our attention uh, to its power and its truths and its principles, bring them into our lives. And Lord, it's easy for us to look at Old Testament narrative and say, what has that to do with me? But we see that you are constant, you are faithful, you do not change, that your principles and promises are sure. And uh, while we do not share all of the promises of Israel uh, that you've reserved for them, uh, yet we have your promises as well. And we thank you that you are a God that keeps those for Israel and for those that trust in you and your bride, the church. And Lord, we pray that as we study this, that we might uh, uh, discover anew and fresh, your, be reminded of your principles and your person and the application of them to our lives and to your church. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, Adonijah, as we talked about last week, felt that he had a right. He had a legitimate right to the throne of David. He was the oldest living male by this point of the sons of David, and he conferred then with two men. He took counsel with two. There was others he conferred with is the implication there, but he found two guys that would agree with him. And that's always encouraging when you find a couple of people to agree with you. Uh, interestingly, though, he has picked two men from accursed lines. Both men are accursed by other people, uh, by kings of Israel. And so much like when we find Absalom in there generating this anti-David sentiment in the gate by, saying, by lying and misrepresenting the king and saying, oh, my dad doesn't have time for you, I'll hear your case, I'm a fairer person than he. I'm the guy you really should be looking at for the future of our kingdom uh, as the oldest son at that point. And of course, that was a disaster. And, uh, but he was advised by some of the wisest men. And remember that when David was leaving, he, he prayed the Lord to destroy the wisdom of the people around Absalom. And Absalom 
when he conferred, had some great advice. And then there was one other guy, Abishai, comes in. Or Abishai. Um, there's a Himalek. Anyway, there's all those aid names. Frustrate me. Comes in and gives him some different advice, and he follows that advice to his own detriment. It gives David a chance to get on his feet, recover, gather the troops, and then defend uh, himself from the other side of the Jordan and conquer Absalom's uh, army. And so Adonijah has watched and learned all of this, and he goes now, and he, instead of doing it with a public and trying to build up a public uh, presence, goes to several high key individuals. And the evidence there is that he went to several and kind of sounded them off. What do you think of me as king? Do you think I have a right to be that? What do you think of me as king? And he goes off and he finds a couple of men that kind of say, yeah, you have the right to be king, both of whom are from cursed lines. The one is Joab. Who cursed Joab? Anybody know real quick? David himself cursed Joab. Joab was the commander of the army of God in Israel, and the army of Israel, um, not to be confused with the commander of the Lord's army in Joshua. I don't try one of you to confuse that. He was the commander of the army, and, and on two occasions he murdered um, innocent, high-ranking men, um, Abner being one of them, and that David had made an alliance with. And... Uh, and so uh, David cursed him and his whole household that, that there should always be someone in the line of Joab that has an issue of blood. Uh, and, so, and then, uh, as we said, Abiathar is a descendant of Eli. And who did that cursing? Who cursed that line? God himself, through the mouth of Samuel, cursed that line. And so... There's going to be a fulfillment of these curses. And so when Adonijah goes out, and we're, we're in chapter 1, uh, verse 7, we find that he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. And so whenever you are setting up your own shop and you go out there and get advice, you're always going to accept and bring close to you the people that agree with you. And here are two guys that say, yeah, you have a right. Now, Joab has exercised himself extensively, even with regard, he's the one that told David to stop mourning this loss of Absalom and, and shame on you, and then, um, again, gets away with murder, essentially. And David uh, says, we're going to let the Lord deal with that, or my son, one or the other, or both. And so, when Adonijah goes to Joab. He already knows the context of Joab's relationship with his father. He knows what Joab has done. Everyone knows what Joab has done. Uh, and so he goes to Joab, and Joab again says, Yeah, you're the oldest son now. You have the legal right to the reign. Although in Israel, that didn't mean anything. Did David have legal right because he was the oldest of anybody? No, he was the youngest. Uh, and he wasn't related to Saul at all. The whole identification of the next king of Israel is a matter of God's plan. And of course, you might say, well, Joab and, and, uh, is functioning within God's plan because God did promise David that the house of David would reign, and so you're of David's lineage, so that fits into that. 
But what we don't have here is a prophet of God. We have a priest and a soldier, general. But we don't have a prophet. And priests are not the ones who designate the king. And this creates something really strange to you and me. And that is that during the time of Samuel King's Chronicles and all the way through, even into Jesus' era, uh, we find that it is not the priests that assign or determine or point out the king. It is the prophets that do that. Samuel being the first one, and then Nathan coming on his heels is going to show himself in that role. And we're going to see consistently that this is something of the prophets. Now, we have a directive from God saying that it has to be of the house and lineage of David to be king. And when we come into um, the kingship of Jesus Christ and the identification of him, we have an interesting parallel to another individual, that's John the Baptist. And who is John the Baptist? He is born of a priestly line. His father was a priest, but like Jeremiah, he didn't identify himself with the priest, did he? He was of the prophets. And so it is a prophet that foreshadows or uh, that comes before the king. And so you're supposed to look for a prophet of the order of Elijah. And, God, and Jesus himself says, if you're looking for Elijah, he's already come. His name was John the Baptist, and you missed him. That was the Elijah to come. He foretold and foreidentified the new and the eternal king of Israel. And so it's always the prophets that did this. So we have here a man that um, has a claim to the throne, but he knows something. He knows that he is not the one who's been promised the throne. So he's going to find those that agree with him. And most of us are capable of doing that. Most of us can figure out who we can get to agree with us um, to build our little case, and that's what Adonijah does. He gets Joab, and Joab again was cursed by David. So is he in the confidence of David at this point? No, David isn't using him to implement any of his edicts. Um, he really is just keeping Joab by default. Um, what about um, Abiathar? Again, God had identified him. Now, Abiathar was one of the last survivors. Um, just so you get an idea of his relationship with David, this is the one that escaped when Doeg was commanded by Saul to kill all the priests. This is the one man that escaped out of that family group. And he went and joined David right away. And he's been with David ever since. So he's had extreme loyalty to David, and that's not going to be lost on Solomon. But he is still out of the line of Eli that God says, I'm, I'm done with that line. I'm going to be going elsewhere. You might say, well, boy, it's been a long time since Eli. I mean, the whole life of Samuel. And God has still not accomplished his judgment. God works on a different time scale than you and I. You know, we are the instant. We make a decision and we instantly have to do it. Uh, and that is frightening and scary. And it's not always wise. 
uh, it always bothers me in the instantaneousness of so many decisions that are made uh, in our world today and then implemented without thought and time, but God works differently. His idea of time is different. So we still have Abiathar, and he uh, follows, it says, and helped Adonijah. They're not going to do it just here, but even later on, they're going to help him uh, scheme for the, for the throne. Even after Solomon is going to be identified as king, they are still going to side with Adonijah. They're the only two that are still identified in that fashion. And so here you have a general and a priest, and they agree, I should be king, and I have, I'm the oldest male, I have every reason to do this, and I am usurping it without the identification of God. God is reserved that he would identify who was going to be king. And he has already communicated that to David, and I believe that happened in accordance with the naming of Solomon as Jedediah. That David knew then this is the one God loves. This is the one that is going to be the one that God blesses and wants ruling Israel. And so here we come with uh, uh, these two. Now you think, okay, we have two high priests. They're probably good friends. They've been working together for 40 years under King David. Uh, but instead we have in verse 8, Zadok the priest, ben- Beniah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, and that's kind of a surprising one to find there, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And so they, um, they may have been approached or may not have been approached, or they may have been just, uh, well, you know, Nathan is really not going to go along with this. He doesn't recognize that you're the oldest and the rightful heir to the throne, uh, whatever reasons, they purposely know who to avoid. And similarly, when we are in this condition of rejecting authority, and the authority is the kings to decide and the prophets to decide, David and the prophets were the ones who should have been used of God to identify the next king. And I just trying to short-circuit that. He's trying to get around that, just like Absalom. We're going to get around that. And uh, they know who to avoid. And that's always the case. We, we always know who to invite, who not to invite, and Adonijah is going to invite every son of David because none of them have a claim to the throne, do they? Except for one, Solomon. And so he invites all the sons of David except for Solomon to his party, to his coronation party. He doesn't invite the other high priest who has the rightful line of Aaron, uh, he, and not of the line of Eli. He does not invite Nathan the prophet. He does not invite the righteous commander or general in the army of David, which is Benaiah, um, nor does he invite a few other prominent mighty men, David's mighty men. That is the, the prominent ones that were very loyal to David. The more loyal they were to David, the more likely they were to say, ha <laughs> I'm waiting on the king, and you're just a wannabe startup. And so they just avoid them. And we, we go through our little, <laughs> I guess we don't use those anymore. I was using one of those little index card things where you had all the phone numbers of all your pals, your little black book. Now you have your little, what do you call those things? 
contact list. You have your contact list. Go through my contact list. Who's going to agree with me? Oh, not him. Not him. Why do I have him as a contact? Who is that person? You go through your contact list and you say, okay, who can I get to uh, see it my way? And uh, you surround yourself with them and the whole thing seems like it's a great idea. And along the way, whether by God or by just the word of mouth, Nathan the prophet knows what's going on. He knows who's been invited to the party. He knows who's not been invited to the party. And he knows what its purpose is. And he knows the danger that it invokes for all of Israel. Particularly for one person, and that is Solomon. Because if Adonijah's claim to the throne is to be really established, it will require the death of Solomon. Because God has already identified him by naming him. The king has already made a promise. And there are already uh, those that uh, would know that the king wants Solomon as his replacement. And so Solomon would have to die for all the loyalty to be shifted to Adonijah. And so with the help of Abiathar and Joab, Adonijah sets up shop and has a coronation party, which of course is going to fail. By Nathan's, uh, maybe from Adonijah's perspective, interference. (laughs) By Nathan's help, um, it's going to fail. By Bathsheba's uh, obedience to Nathan's instructions, and by David's uh, alertness to need to move quickly, uh, instead of ignoring it like he did with Absalom, what he had been doing with Adonijah so far, he realizes, oh, what have I been doing? I'm making the same mistake. I don't want to do that again. By all those reasons, it's going to be avoided. But that's not the end of Adonijah's claim. He's going to try to revive it a little bit later on. And once again... Uh, we jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 13. And God uh, is still, Solomon's already on the throne. We're going to get to that here in a little bit. But I want you to see the determination of Adonijah to undermine Solomon's reign. He still has an objective, and that is to be subversive to Solomon's kingdom and to make it his own. It says, Now Adonijah, son of Haggith, same guy, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, Do you come peaceably? And he says, Peaceably. Moreover said, I have something to say to you. And she said, Say it. And then he said, You know that the kingdom was mine. And all Israel had set their expectations on me that I should reign. The guy's a little delusional, but most people are that have grandiose plans of rebellion. (laughs) However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. So his claim was, I'm the popular guy, and he, the Lord is the only one that's on his side, but the Lord got his will, and so all the people are grumbling about it. And he portrays the whole thing as kind of, you know, uh, you, got away, you got away from me. Now I ask one petition, you do not deny me. And she said to him, say it. Then he says, speak, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as wife. So Bathsheba, Bathsheba said, very well, I'll speak for you to the king. Bathsheba therefore went to the king Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. 
And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down in his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother, and she sat at his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. And she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now, why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, for him and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. And that's what happened. So Adonijah and Solomon immediately knows who's behind this. They are still scheming. He has sent Adonijah away. Adonijah went, went Solomon is coordinated, runs and says, I'm afraid you're going to kill me. And Solomon says, I'm not going to kill you. Just go to your house. Just go home and I'll leave you alone. But Adonijah still insists because that rebellion is still there. He already recognizes that the Lord wants Solomon to be king. Yet he says, I think I should be king in his place. And Solomon reveals to us the fact that he knows that Abiathar and Joab are with him conniving. They are scheming. Well, there's a, still a wife of David, a very young, beautiful woman that didn't know David. And to have the wife of a king adds to your claim of being the next king. And so what he was trying to do, Adonijah was still involved in this rebellious course of action to say, I'm going to try to build a case for me to be the next king of Israel, even though Solomon's already been on the throne for a while. I'm going to build that. And uh, then, whether they were planning on assassinating Solomon or whatever they had to follow up this plan, it's, the first step was to get Abishag as wife so that David's wife becomes Adonijah's wife. And that's why the writer of Kings, who is probably Jeremiah, but, but the writer of Kings uh, makes a point at the first chapter to keep mentioning Abishag. Abishag, Abishag. Why is she so important? She's so important because she's going to become a pawn of Adonijah in their plans. Was she uh, complicit with this? No, she wasn't involved. It is doubtful that she even, whether she even knew the request was made. Um, but she's there, and she is in, there with the king in all of these councils. She's not only keeping him warm at night, but she is caring for him all day long. She is kind of his nurse. Probably the best way to describe it as, as a hospice nurse. She's there 24-7 and with him, and she knows what's going on. Um, but more importantly, there's that identification. And so Adonijah isn't done. He's still got the schemes going. And you can still see it in his heart when he speaks the words to Bathsheba. 
The whole kingdom was mine, and I got robbed of it by God. Because all the people would have followed me. I got robbed. Well, the representative of God is Nathan the prophet. And we're going to talk about him a lot more next week and, and uh, in the manner in which he brought it all to David's attention, which is very different than what we'd expect from a prophet of God. And you might find some uh, fault there, but God doesn't. Uh, so we come to, to chapter 2 and we find again that um, these two, these two helpers, Joab and Abiathar, once Adonijah is struck down and killed in verse 25 of chapter 2, that the next two on the list is Abiathar and Joab. You're all colluding against this kingdom of God. The kingdom God has established in Solomon. And so he sets up a scenario. Uh, he sends Abiathar, you go home. Go to your fields, you're done. You deserve to die. In fact, is what he says. Look at this in, in uh, verse 26. And to Abiathar the priest, go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time because you carry the ark of the Lord God before my father David and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest of the Lord that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. God had cursed that house and this was the completion of it. Does that mean that it's the last living descendant of Eli? No, but they have no longer any claim to the priesthood. And that includes an individual we're going to be introduced to in... Uh, in chapter 1, back in chapter 1, which is Jonathan, uh, Abiathar's son. And uh, so we're going to find that there's, there's, a, there's a recognition that, yes, you, you had a faithful, faithful relationship to my father. All your days, all his kingship. And now you do this. You know, you didn't join up with Absalom. You didn't do that. You always went with my dad. You always went with David. You always were, when he was afflicted, you were afflicted. You associate with him. You have all those years, decades, four decades or longer, because really, even in the midst of the things with Saul, um, and so even before King David, or David became king, uh, Abiathar was committed to him. And so, why would you abandon wisdom, which is this loyalty to the king, and jump on the Adonijah bandwagon. And it's a real testament to us that faithfulness isn't uh, for 40 years. You know, if I'm married to my wife 40 years, I'm not there yet, I'm getting closer, um, and then I'm unfaithful to her. My faithful husband, if I have an affair after being married 40 years, no, because I made a promise that I'll be faithful till death, mine or hers, whichever one comes first. And so Solomon recognized Abiathar's faithfulness over these years, and he is, he's confounded. Why didn't you wait for the king to make his pronouncement? 
Why did you join up with Abiathar, or with, I held these A words. Why did you join up with Adonijah, even now, after I'd already become king, and David had already assigned me the kingdom, and I've already been coronated, I've already inherited all, it's already been established, and here you're still opposing me. When you know this is the will of the Lord, even Adonijah has recognized this is the will of the Lord. This is how far it goes. And so he throws 40 years away, and now he is, he is expelled from the priesthood, and he is told to go home, you're done, and so he's re removed. But I want you to notice what Solomon says. He says, you are deserving of death. I could kill you now, and I'd have, I'd be righteous in it. This is how God views this kind of betrayal. And so uh, he holds him to it. Then he comes to Joab, and Joab is the next counselor, the helper of Adonijah, and who was still scheming even after Solomon becomes king, and was probably also behind the whole ask for Abishag for your wife thing. So he comes to Joab, and Joab knows it. Joab knows he's in trouble. Uh, it says in verse 28 of chapter 2, the news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is, by the altar. Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, go strike him down. And there's some interaction back and forth. Uh, <laughs> Benaniah says, get over here, Joab. Joab says, I'm not leaving. And goes to tell Solomon, and Solomon says, well, if he wants to die there before the Lord, let him die before the Lord. Kill him in his, in right there in the spot. And there in the very tabernacle, on the horns of the altar, Joab is slain. But I want you to jump down to Solomon's response. Verse 31. Do as he has said, strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with a sword, Abner the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah, though my father David did not know it. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. And all of this um, eventually was applauded by Israel. They all agreed with this. But let's... Uh, Verse 34, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him, and he buried him in his own house in the wilderness. Verse 35, the king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. But I want you to turn me about this whole idea of the blood being upon their head to Proverbs uh, 28. This is the writing of Solomon, so let's go into uh, most often associated with Solomon. Some, Not all of it is, not all of Proverbs are, but Proverbs 28. I wanted you to jump to um, Solomon's understanding and the wisdom of what this means for someone's blood to be upon you and why uh, being 
killed violently, even as an old man, is a curse. A violent death in Israel is, a, is considered part of a curse of God. So in 28, verse 17, it says, A man burdened with blood will flee into a pit. And here's Solomon's instruction. Let no one help him. Wow. A man burdened with bloodshed will flee into a pit. Let no one help him. Um, But, in verse 18, whoever walks blamelessly will be saved, but he who is preserved in his ways will suddenly, or perverse in his ways, not preserved, perverse in his ways, will fall suddenly. And so, the idea here is that there was no one pleading Joab's cause, and there shouldn't have been. Because he was guilty of the bloodshed of two innocent men, Abner and Amasa. And Solomon here is declaring that this uh, was his own doing. This is Joab's own fault. This is not my fault. And it doesn't even matter where you kill him. We'll kill him right there in front of the altar of the Lord, right in this holy place. How can you desecrate a holy place like that? It wasn't desecration. It was the righteous act of the king against a man who had blood on his hands, innocent blood on his hands. And Solomon says, you've got man with blood on his head, don't help him. If he falls into a pit, if he makes his way into a pit, if he, if he makes choices that lead to his misery, you don't help him. Because of the guiltiness of the blood that he has shed, of the innocent blood that he has violently taken. And so for David's instruction, we're going to see to Solomon that's going, that Solomon is really implementing here, and we're going to reference it in, in a few weeks when we get back to it. It's all about let him go down with a bloody death. Don't let him go peaceably into the grave. Uh, because this was a evidence or a declaration that this was a that it, that he had done a violent, uh, unrighteous act, and in, the, in Joab's case, it was for two different individuals, um, both Abner and Amasa. And so, both of these individuals are are taken care of along with Adonijah um, because of their rebellion because of their attempt to usurp authority that isn't theirs. Uh, It wasn't theirs, it seemed to be, by right, from men's perspective, but not from God's. And when we talk about the establishment of authority, we're looking at how does God establish authority? And then how does he carry that on and bring it forward? And uh, we're going to see that sometimes we can struggle even, we can easily find fault with Solomon. Do you agree with that? You guys know Solomon's life. We're going to find fault with him. Um, we're going to find fault with him where God doesn't find fault with him. Uh, in fact, we're going to say, well, why is he doing that? And then the very night he does that, God says, uh, ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Say, so, wait a minute, how does that correlate? Um, but we're going to see something of um, that God sees a larger picture than a single act of man, uh, whether it be in ignorance or um, in error. And that's why the testimony of David is a man after God's own heart. But he did horrible things. 
Yet God was pleased to work in and through him because his actions did not always represent his heart condition. And he's always responsive to God's correction. And so we're going to see some fault with Solomon that doesn't give any of those under his reign the right to usurp his authority, to undermine his authority, to try to wrestle the kingdom away from him. Even for his son Rehoboam uh, and the mistakes he made, that doesn't excuse what Jeroboam does to wrestle the northern tribes away from him. For this is the work of God to establish his kings, and we recognize that, and here's a usurper. There's always people that agree with you, but uh, in the end, in the wisdom of Solomon prevails, and these are all destroyed or put out of the way. And this is the consistency of God um, that here's a line cursed by God in Eli. Here is a man's line cursed by David for what he did. Uh, and those mean something to God. They, they are established before him. God remembers. Um, can he work around it? Sometimes. Remember there were two sons of Jacob that were cursed. By Jacob. Do you remember that? Because they went in and slaughtered all those men who had just circumcised themselves. One of those tribes was Levi. Still cursed. But God, because of Levi's later actions, took that curse and made it a blessing. He says, you're still not going to get an inheritance like the other tribes, but you're going to become the priests. You're going to become the Levites. You're going to have a scattered inheritance all over with everybody. And so God can take curses and sustain them and still bless your lineage down the road for being obedient to him. Um, but in this case, both of these men demonstrated that they were not worthy of that blessing by God because of the rebellion that they had against uh, God's selection of who would be the next king of Israel. So a good correlation with this morning's message tonight in looking at uh, Adonijah, uh, Abiathar, and Joab as those who conspired against God's anointed king. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we do pray that you might help us to be sensitive, to not uh, surround ourselves with the counsel of rebels, of ungodly people, of those that, uh, that uh, do not work your will and have not submitted their will to yours. And Lord, we pray that we might rather listen attentively to the will of your people and those who not only have a history of serving you, but presently have a heart committed to you. And Lord, that we might be attentive to, to the need to submit to the authorities that you have placed, and we can find fault with any man on this earth easily enough, uh, to justify ourselves, but uh, Lord, you have established these authorities. We thank you for them, and we do pray for them. And we recognize the, the difficult decisions and the influences on them. And Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Solomon and 
even having to resist his own mom, uh, who is caught up in this, yet innocently. And Lord, we pray that uh, in thanksgiving for the wisdom that sees through the schemes of men to reveal the rebellion at the root of what is going on. And Lord, give us that same kind of discernment, that same kind of wisdom uh, as we face our world and the decisions we may need to make to this week, these months and years to come to your return, that we might give you the honor, praise, and glory all our days until we are in your very presence. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.